Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Fireside Leadership. I'm your co-host, Lisa McHale, and this is my beautiful co-host, Janice Lee. Hello, everybody. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited for our guest today. Um, we are welcoming Dan Eds. So just a little bit about Dan. Dan is a 25-year management, practicing management consultant. Um, he's done work with state as well as local government, healthcare industries, higher education, nonprofits. Um, he's written two books. One is on transformational management. And today, what we're going to really talk about more of is his second book, which is Leveraging the Genetics of Leadership and Cracking the Code on Basically Sustainable Team Performance which I think, especially in today's era, is so important. There's been so many changes, so I'm really excited to hear about the stories that he can share. Um, you know, and the story is really about elite organizations and, you know, how they really revolutionized the practice of leadership, you know, how they raised employee, employment standards, employee standards, and basically created a, you know, better way of working within their organization. So thank you so much for being here with us today, Dan. Oh, it's great to be with you, and I, I love these topics, so I'm, I'm happy to be with you. Yeah, so um, really excited. And, you know, maybe the first question would be, you know, why did you decide or what made you decide to write that book? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, there was no one single event. It was actually a series of, of events that took place over uh, a number of years. <clears throat> but I'll give you um, one as an example. So a large state agency, it was actually a Department of Motor Vehicles, had asked me to come in and do a lean workshop. Uh, if, you're, if you're familiar with the concept of lean, it's a you know, basic process improvement uh, tool. They wanted me to do a lean workshop <clears throat> with uh, this one division within the department that was um, by any measure um, uh, demoralized. Uh, at the time we were just coming out of the last recession, um, their budgets had been hammered, um, no loss in work demands, but people were working, you know, six, seven days a week routinely. Mm -hmm. And, um, and they were tired. I mean, they were just flat out exhausted. And, um, so come in and for four days, we, we laid out their systems, their processes at the end of four days, we had two gorgeous value stream maps displayed on a wall. I have to say they're works of art. Um, they were really good looking value stream maps, if I may say. Um, we also had done a spaghetti diagram, which tracks, tracked the flow of their invoices, you know, through the office and they're a funding agency. So they, they processed a lot of invoices. And one of the things we discovered was that almost every invoice had to cross the financial manager's desk upwards of seven times before it was ever processed. So there were lots of opportunities to improve systems, improve processes. And the last half day we took and they designed uh, it was either three or four really um, simple initiatives that would improve their processes, decrease non-value-added work, increase the value of value-added work, actually would have let people go home on time and enjoy their friends and their family. Mm -hmm. And um, the very last day we were just wrapping up, in fact, we had wrapped up. And um, one of their senior managers, a guy that had been with the company for several years, um, with the organization several years, kind of a big guy. He's probably 6'2", 6 6'3", 6 maybe 240, 50 pounds. Um, walks up to the manager, who's this short guy, <laughs> a 
grabs him by the lapels of his sport coat. I'm not exaggerating here. Lifts him up so he's just on his tiptoes. Shakes him. And this poor guy's head is going, you know, physically shakes him and says, if you don't do something like this with what we've just done, don't ever, ever, ever invite me to help you with this again, ever. And I'm like five feet away from him thinking, this is really interesting. Um, so that was one of the things that actually got me really motivated to look at this question of how do high impact organizations approach leadership? Because the other side of that story is out of courtesy, we took these initiatives, we took what we'd done and we presented it to the senior executive leadership of the department and they were thrilled. Um, primarily because the governor at the time had campaigned on a promise of more efficient government and had actually said, we're going to do lean. So the senior executives could go to the governor and say, we're doing lean. This is what's, this is what's happening. Aren't we good? The problem was as we walked out of that meeting, they said, oh, by the way, can you please keep this other person who's not there here today, can you keep her abreast of what you're doing? And you could just watch the air, the energy go right out of these people who had spent four days together developing these fabulous ideas. Not one initiative was ever implemented. Hmm. And the more I've looked at it, the more I've realized that there was this other thing called a system that was in place. The system didn't require the senior leadership to listen to their team members, to listen to their workforce to engage with them around ideas that would improve workflow, that would increase value to their customers. Their system rewarded them for their proximity to the governor. And so that's what got me looking at, okay, what's, what is, what, what, what's going on here and how do high impact organizations approach the practice of leadership? I love that, um, you know, what is driving the decisions for mm-hmm. processes in a business? You know, I just read something from like 1990, Harvard, mm-hmm. Harvard Business Review, mm-hmm. um, talking about the same payables, like in auto, auto manufacturing, where one mm-hmm. company was, you know, employing 500 people mm-hmm. versus another company was employing five. Right. You know, and they were trying to shrink down 20%, but they could actually get it down to 1%. Mm -hmm. So is that what you mean by high impact? And is that what you mean in terms of going lean? Now, what I mean by high impact is that the organization does something really remarkable for a long period of time. Okay, got it. So, um, you know, as I got doing the research, I had to say, okay, what does it mean by high impact? Uh, how How do I define performance? I intentionally did not look at economic performance because it's too easy to manipulate and it's too hard to get to the real numbers anyway, mm-hmm. uh, unless unless organizations really want to open up their, you know, sort of their 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 their, uh, their guts to you, which most of them aren't willing to do. So I ended up looking at things like levels of engagement, um, healthcare. I was looking at safety, um, manufacturing. You know, the 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 engagement levels of their employees and what did they do 
how did they intentionally go about extracting waste from their systems? Um, and so every time, every time I found a, an organization was really doing something remarkable, I found that they were doing leadership really different. Hmm. Interesting. When you say really different, like, can you, were there some common themes that you were seeing? Yeah, um, in sure. Companies? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I, I use the word system and most of us understand have some, we use that word a lot. We don't always know what it means, but uh, I think most of us recognize that organ organizations are, or, or is a, an organization is a system of interconnected systems. So there's financial systems, there are HR systems, there are sales and marketing systems, there are systems of how to engage uh, employees, systems of how to engage uh, customers, and there's operational systems. Until we come to this thing called leadership, and that is a person. It is an individual person exercising organizational power to get something done. What I found with organizations that consistently perform at an elite, at an elite level is they flip that and they say, no, we're going to approach leadership like any other system in the organization. And um, if you're going to be a leader in this organization, there is a way we want you to do leadership. And it's prescribed. It's taught. It's trained. It's coached and it's mentored. Um, the Probably the biggest and most obvious uh, organization in this country anyway would be the United States Army. Two million active and reserve duty personnel. Um, you know, if, 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 uh, if you're an officer in the United States Army, they teach you to a specific code of how to lead. And there's no deviation from that because in an ambush, when you're a captain leading 200 soldiers and you've been ambushed, you don't have time to do it, you know, figure out how you're gonna do leadership because people will die. It is that simple. Got it. So they train you specifically how to lead. So um, uh, I'll give you one, one example of a, uh, a healthcare organization that I discovered one of the safest hospitals in the country. Some of you speculated it might be one of the safest hospitals in the world. Um, they uh, have 10,000 employees. Um, and you don't think about hospital safety too much as a big deal until here in the States, it's one of the leading causes of death. Uh, 161,000 people die every year in hospitals due to avoidable accidents. So hospital safety in the healthcare industry is a big deal. Um, this hospital starts out with a single core value of respect. Everything, how they deliver care, how they lead, interactions between leaders and staff is all driven off of this single value of respect. Respect for the work, respect for the worker, respect for the patient. So starting from that point, I'll give you a couple of real simple things that I think is fascinating. Based on a value of respect, where would you think the executive team would put their offices? Here's the options. 12th floor, overlooking a commanding view of a city, harbor, snow-capped mountains to the east, snow-capped volcano, to the south 
or the basement. Okay, so if you're asking me if, yeah. I, if, if I were operating in that organization and if my values were respect, I would be wanting to be in the heart of the operations where everything is going on, which would probably be the basement. That... Not separated from not setting myself or the executive team above anybody else, but being with the people, if that makes um, sense. You nailed it. It's, it's, they're in the basement. Um, not necessarily for the reason you, 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 you said, but that would be part of it. But they're in the basement partly because they recognize that executive leadership do not do their best work when they're sitting in their offices behind, in, in their chairs. They do their best work when they're out with the people, the rank and file, you know, the, the other doctors and nurses and med techs, the receptionists, they're actually functioning and interfacing with, with, with their patients. Right. And wouldn't patients recover much better if they had those views? <laughs> you know, there's a there, there's a great story that they when I was taking their I, I I had one of their leaders spend an entire morning with me, which I will forever be grateful for because it was just this mind bending, um, uh, you know, experience that really was I was I've been involved in a lot of organizations and this one was stunning. So. Um, there's a story of they had just built a, a new oncology center and it was state of the art and it was gorgeous. And um, they were just designing the layout of it. And they brought all of their physicians in who immediately said, oh, I'm gonna take this office and this office because it was all of those glass, you know, <laughs> window facing uh, offices out to the commanding view of the city and the, and, the, and the sound, the water and the mountains. And so someone finally said, um, you know, based on a value of respect, is that where we should be putting our offices? And they go, hmm, guess not. So they, in designing the office, they put them all against the back wall. Wow. So when you set that core value you know, and this is an organization, they have one, they don't have like 10 or 20, they've got one respect and everything is driven off of that single value of respect. That's um, amazing. And I, I, I wanted to like the way you, you mentioned that, you know, the leadership, sorry, the organizations that really have been successful and in terms of their leadership and just driving lead organizations, it's about leadership being a system. I think that's that for me is more of a new idea. I haven't heard that before because we tend to think, or at least I've tended to think about leadership as like an individual characteristics, not yep. something that you can necessarily um, replicate easily. Yep. But based on what you're saying, it's like, it, it's not that it's hard to do. It's just coming from a same place. So like setting the, the tone, like determining what that value is first mm -hmm. and then designing leadership or I guess, creating and developing leadership behaviors around those values. Is that, is that right? I could not say it better myself. So I'll, I'll give you one more example and I'll try to be quiet. So um, I was sitting down with an elementary school principal one, one morning and uh, this school had gone from failing on multiple fronts. Uh, the prior principal had basically been run out of town by the teachers union. Um, academically, they were performing at the lowest level of 18 elementary schools. Five years later, it's the highest performing elementary school. 
then for the next two years, they, that wasn't good enough. So they became one of the few schools in the nation to actually close the achievement gap, which is the gap between you know, majority and majority, rich and poor, massive accomplishment. And when I, uh, I sat down with the principal, I said, I wanna, I wanna ask you about your approach to leadership. She said, leadership? I don't know anything about leadership. She went on, then went on to describe for me the most eloquent system of leadership that I found possibly outside the US military. And uh, that's not to say she's walking up and down the halls, you know, command, you know, being a four star general making commands. It means she started from, I, and I asked, I said, so if there was one or two words that you would use to describe your approach to leadership, what would they be? She said, this won't be very popular, but love and grace. And in the next breath, she's talking to me about collaboration. So what she was saying was, I'm starting from a foundation of love and grace so that my team, my staff can collaborate together because I believe that academic achievement in our students is gonna be based on our team collaborating together. And that actually then went beyond collaborating as a, as a team of educators, but it went on to the next step, which is, well, maybe we ought to be collaborating with our other community groups as well. So uh, there's, there's a church that meets, that rents the building on Sunday mornings for their services. What the principal didn't realize when she came on was that church was ready and willing and able to support that institution any way they could. So today, when that school, if they're having an in-service for teachers and they need lunch, guess who steps in to provide the lunch? The church. The church. You go to that school on a Saturday before school starts in the fall, and there'll be 75, 50 to 75 volunteers from the community coming to that school. They're pressure washing sidewalks. They're uh, working with teachers to help them get their rooms ready for students coming in in a week. You know, four or five people working as a team could get done preparing a classroom. What would take, you know, it would take them a day what would otherwise take the teacher a week to accomplish. So they've not only created a great team internally, but now they've got this fabulous team within the community as well. And oh, by the way, they're producing some of the best test scores in a fairly impoverished neighborhood. Yep. I like to call that a circle of love. You know, when she said love and grace, I was kind of like, uh, really, you know? So I'm, you know, I'm kind of a guy, okay, the whatever side of the brain is, is the analytical, you know, right. linear side, that's kind of where I operate. So she said, love and grace. I said, oh, and I'm thinking there's 450 kids in this school. And I like the idea that they had a teacher that loved her principal that loved them. And she's like reading my mind. She says, she looks at me, she goes like this. She says, that's not the way I'm thinking of those words. She said, to me, they mean I can have a difficult conversation with my staff, but do it in a spirit of love and grace. And uh, it means they can keep me accountable and, and we can do it as a team in a common experience of love and grace, because that's part of collaboration. It's interesting to me because you're going to two different 
sides, right? You're going from the U.S. military, which is extremely regimented, mm-hmm. um, which is there for defense, let's say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of trauma that can happen there. Yep. Yep. Um, to the other side, which is children. Yep. Yep. So radically I, different organizations. Yeah, you have found commonalities that you have wrote, written a book about and you yes. call you reference it around genetics. Yep. So is in your world is genetics a system or is there another meaning towards genetics in your title? Yeah, well, there's actually two meetings. One, it's really talking about organizational DNA and how do you design and create that organizational DNA. But the other one is really intentional. And I thought long and hard about this. Um, and it, it took a long time to sort of come to this idea. But DNA is the ultimate system. DNA, I mean, in our bodies, your and my, yours and mine, there's enough DNA that if you strung it all together, it would go from planet Earth to the sun and back six times. Uh, I always get these numbers backwards, but every day um, the, there are two billion digits of code that have to get replicated. And it happens three billion times a day. I think I get those numbers right. Yet a DNA molecule is made up of of sugar and phosphate, common elements that are in every household kitchen. Yet the way these elements interact at a molecular level creates the foundation for biological life. So taking that principle, applying it to organizational leadership, it means as one of the, um, uh, actually he's one of the world's leaders in system sciences, uh, science, um, a gentleman that teaches uh, at a university in uh, England. Um, when I explained the concept to him and I was asking him to write an endorsement for the book, he wrote, he wrote back this glowing endorsement in the middle of it. He said, we understand leadership as a system, a system that's interact, inter- interacting and interfacing with other organizational systems. He said, it means therefore that a leader of average emotional intelligence can learn how to lead. And that's exactly the point. I in love fact, that. Yeah. In, in fact, uh, quick story and I'll be quiet. So this teacher, this principal says, I, I approach leadership based on these attitudes, these values of love and grace. When I walked out of the door, out of her door, I said, oh, don't be embarrassed to say that because I had a full bird colonel of the United States Army, gentleman, a 34-year veteran, U.S. Army Ranger, member of the Special Forces, and a retired four-star general who holds three Purple Hearts. He has led men in in combat in the most extreme environments. And both of them told me almost the exact same thing. The two Army officers said, we practice servant leadership. And in the next breath, they're talking to me about love, loving a soldier, loving a soldier's family. I love it. Um, I love how when it boils down to the nuts and bolts of things, we're all the same. Because like you said, a leader, a a person of average emotional intelligence can learn to be a leader because at our core DNA, we are all the same. 
There is really no difference to us. So it's possible for us to learn. And I, I really like that idea. I don't know, Lisa, I feel like you had something else to add on that. I do. I think, you know, I like how you tie it to the DNA. Janice and I actually met through personal development and in the personal development, leadership really starts with self. Mm -hmm. And so just to bring it full circle, this leadership Mm -hmm. of self tied to our DNA, when we Mm -hmm. extend it outwards into what you call institutions, systems, Mm -hmm. organizations, Mm -hmm. what we contribute outside of ourselves to continue to perpetuate for the people that keep us safe on homeland and the, mm-hmm. the youth that are coming, it is yep. really still very, very synergistic. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. whether you get the numbers right or wrong, the point mm-hmm. is still the same, right? Like yep. it all starts with leadership of self. And and I think even tying it back to your hospital story, mm-hmm. it is what is your guiding value mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. a human being and how mm-hmm. does that spread outward right. in what you're doing? So. Yep. Yeah, that that was really all I wanted to add, Janice. I think it's your stories are so uh, uh, they're mesmerizing, almost, right? Good, good. I yeah. like that. Is that what we can expect in your book? Absolutely. Yeah. When I started writing the book, I, I, I uh, you know, like any other author, I probably started and stopped about 30, 35 different times. And someplace there's dozens and dozens and dozens of, of drafts. But, um, you know, I was looking at systemic leadership, which is kind of a big word. It's like, well, what does that mean? And it's kind of academic. Um, and I started reading the literature on systems and system science and systems theory and systemic leadership. My reaction was people write about this stuff. They have one sentence in an article or a book. And the next one, they're so far up in the academic stratosphere that um, I don't I don't understand how to get the feet on the ground. So I intentionally went the other route, which is I want to I want to write about stories and organizations that are doing something really really noble and grand and excellent. But the other thing I I discovered that I wasn't expecting was along the way they are creating uh, uh, a, a different kind of workforce, a different kind of daily work experience, and they're creating better human beings human beings that are more self-empowered, more self-confident. And they're doing that on a daily basis, much of the time without even knowing it. Amazing. And hold that thought. So we don't want to give all the nuggets away because we want people to read the book. (laughs) But what is something you would share for one of our listeners out there who's saying, like, that's amazing. That's where I want to get to. Like, what is a practice that yep. you've seen has worked that they can incorporate in their daily life, whether it's sure. work with themselves or their team to yep. get them on this road. Yeah, so I'll actually give you two. Okay. And, I, and I saw this various ways, they all do it somewhat different. Every organization I looked at though, that I, that I found that was doing something really remarkable for a long period of time, not a year or two, but four, five, eight, 20 years, um, I saw, every one of them do two things. One is that they knew how to use, you know, what we teach our children, the magic words, please and thank you. They knew how to say thank you. Somewhere though, for most of us between toddlers, our mothers teaching us how to say thank you and MBA school, we lose, we forget how to say thank you. Um, A great story, Um, I didn't use it in the book, but um, the guy who is uh, the CEO of Campbell's Soup for 10 years between 2001, 2011, 
uh, credited with a major turnaround of Campbell's Soup. 10 years running Campbell's Soup, he wrote approximately 30,000 thank you notes and radically transformed the culture of, of, of Campbell's Soup. And every, every organization I looked at, they had some way of saying thank you. It wasn't like, you know, employee of the month club, you know, it wasn't that kind of a thing. It was a very personal way of saying thank you. Um, the other thing that I saw was um, um, every organization started out with some kind of, you know, it was, it was respect, it was safety, and they had some kind of way of, of incorporating that into everything we did, they did like the hospital. So the other thing that I saw, and again, it's, it's simple. I mean, it's not rocket science. You don't need a PhD in organizational design to do any of this stuff. Um, I referenced it with a hospital really. Um, every day or on a regular basis, they trained their leaders to in, in healthcare, it's called rounding. You get out of your chair and you go visit with your team. You go visit your team. How are you doing? Do you have what you need? Are you stressed out today? Are you, are you on time? You know, how are you doing? And oh, how are you doing too? Um, in uh, manufacturing, they call it the gimba. It's basically the same idea. It's management by rocking, walking around. Get out of your chair and go visit with your team. It's not rocket science. But um, one, of the, uh, one of the stories that's in the book uh, is, is a, actually a friend of mine who is the chief medical officer for uh, a very large urban, urban trauma center. Um, he'd be by any measure, one of the nation's top trauma specialists. And he told me the story of a prior CEO who kept her office on the 12th floor expansive view of the, of the, of the city. And um, he said, I'm one of her senior executives. I never see her. All communication is through email, the occasional phone call or the occasional meeting. He said, we get a new CEO. Guy moves his office from the 12th floor to the first floor, right in back of the admitting office. Um, Janice, as you pointed out earlier, where he can get that that rhythm, the vibe, the the the, the you know that that the, the 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 what's going on in the hospital, and uh, my friend, the the trauma specialist says uh, he comes by the emergency department always twice, sometimes three times a week, just to see how we're doing. He said the amazing thing is, trust is skyrocketing, engagement is skyrocketing. He says. He said, our relationship with the executive leadership team has never been better. And the only thing is happening is that the CEO has gotten out of his chair and gone to say hi, learn people's names, learn faces, not hard. Yeah, not hard at all. Such, so such simple, simple things that yep. we actually probably all know, and even yep. leaders know, we're just not doing or prioritizing. So it's really right. good that you were bringing those stories to life, backed by research and, and stats that show that that actually has an impact on organizational health, morale, yep. and sound like the bottom line as well. Yep. Thank Absolutely. you so, so much for that. Um, 
I think that's pretty much all the questions that I had for you today, Dan. I don't know, Lisa, do you have anything else that you'd like to add or kind of follow up on? Oh gosh, I have a ton. So I'm going to, I'm going to say, I would love if you would come back and talk to us about how all of this is actually relevant now, because, you know, ending with go and say hi during a pandemic where everyone's working remotely would be a great chaser to apply some of this genetic coding Mm -hmm. to now, because you've given us a really, really good baseline. So would you come back, Dan? Oh, I'd be delighted to. Excellent. Thank you so much. I'm really happy that we were actually able to make this call happen and excited to follow up on part two with Dan. Um, so I really want to thank Dan for coming here today. Um, if you are just catching this, you know, make sure you check out Dan's book. So it's Daniel Eds. It's called Leveraging the Genetics of Leadership, Cracking the Code of Sustainable Team Performance. Uh, my name is Janice. This is my lovely co-host, Lisa, for Fireside Leadership. And I think that is a wrap for today. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.